0: Getting a divorce, even thinking about getting a divorce, can be overwhelming, scary, and sometimes exciting. Join divorce coach and mediator Mandy Walker for conversations about divorce. The more you know, the easier it will be to make your divorce healthier, less stressful, and to put it behind you. Here's Mandy.
1: Welcome to Conversations About Divorce. I'm Mandy Walker, and today we're talking about grey divorce, what it may mean for you and how it impacts our society. Now, personally, I don't care for the term grey divorce. Um, It seems to me kind of to to hint that life may be over, and I think it's far from over, but I prefer the term midlife divorce. But I accept that the media seems to have cottoned on or grasped this term grey divorce. But whatever the term getting divorced when you're in your 50s and beyond is different most of the time the children are adults or in college so there aren't the parenting issues that often come with getting divorced at a younger age and that can simplify, simplify the process but that doesn't mean that midlife divorce is easy or without its challenges and what we're learning is that these challenges are different and men and women experience midlife divorce very differently My guest today is an expert on grey divorce. She's Jocelyn Elise Crowley, Professor of Public Policy at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. Jocelyn's research focuses on American families and public policy, and her latest book is Grey Divorce, What We Lose and Gain from Midlife Splits. Welcome, Jocelyn.
2: It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: That's my pleasure. I thought that we would talk, first start talking about that phrase, grey divorce. And when we right. when that term is used, what age group are we really talking about here? So
2: the term grey divorce really applies to um, a couple that gets divorced where at least one member of the couple is age 50 or and older or
0: older.
1: Okay. All right. So... Um, and what has been, let's just talk about the overall divorce rate in America, because, I mean, I know that people, I see headlines like say, you know, we've got such a terrible high divorce rate, but it's actually, in fact, been declining, hasn't it? Yes,
2: yes. Yeah. So for the overall population in the United States, the divorce rate over the past couple of decades has stabilized and even declined among certain population groups. But among those who are age 50 or older, Um, over the past two decades, the divorce rate has doubled uh, so that now uh, one out of every four divorces is gray. Um, And so that's a substantial increase. In uh, 2010, there were over 600,000 individuals who went through a gray divorce in the United States. And by 2030, we expect that over 800,000 Americans will go through a gray divorce. So it's actually quite a striking statistic.
1: And so with that sort of um, incident of divorce at older ages or that that change in that that um, has a dramatic effect, that can have a dramatic effect on our society
2: Absolutely, you know there are lots of consequences to people getting a divorce at that age, and, and their consequences are, are quite different for men or for women. And, and that's what I really uh, explore in the book, the the causes of free divorce, which are interesting um, on their own, but also, you know, the consequences and what we as a society can do about them.
1: So let, so let me ask you, first of all, let, let's go to that beginning point and say, why, what do you see as being the causes for this Trend in um, midlife splits. Sure. So the so the causes
2: are, you know, uh, somewhat um, demographically based. Um, in the United States, we simply have the aging of the baby boomer generation. So in 2010, there were about 99 million Americans age 50 or older. By 2050, we expect that number to be over 160 million. So what we just see is that more and more people are over the age of 50, and that just simply translates into more divorces. In the United States as well, we've seen uh, rapid life expectancy increases. So in 1950, the average man could expect to live to be about 66 years old and the average woman about 71. Now for men, it's about 76 years old and women 81 years old. So with longer life expectancy we also expect to see more great divorce. People are just living longer. They're exposed to the possibility of divorce as well. So, and then lastly, so by,
1: by the time that you, uh, when you reach your mid-50s, you can still say, you know, I can still expect to live another 25, 30 years and this is not exactly. how I want to live my life.
2: Exactly. You can definitely look at your life and, and analyze it and, and decide to make changes. I think the the last factor, though, is just uh, overall the stigma of divorce has really, really declined over the past couple of decades. So, uh, you know, it used to be the case that people in my grandparents' generation wouldn't even think about divorce, and right. now it's just very, very common and quite accepted culturally.
1: And I think in your book you talk about one of the factors being the the legal system now is a no fault system in all the states within the U.S.?
2: Yes, yes, so you can get a divorce quite easily. There is, uh, the, the basis of divorce can be no fault, although people can also um, use fault as a mechanism for getting a divorce. But it has actually become quite easy to get a divorce in the United States.
1: So I'm just going to say, it, it's, that means I, I would say that the legal system has maybe become easier. It's still emotionally very difficult And financially difficult for people to still work through the process.
2: Yes, in terms of the basis of divorce, um, having the no-fault option there definitely makes things easier. But interestingly, in the United States, every state has its own rules and laws regarding divorce. And actually, in some states... um, Divorce can be a little bit harder than in others. You know, they right. some states require, you know, getting counseling or other types of waiting periods. So there's a lot of variability, but definitely the no fault option makes things a little bit easier for couples in the United States.
1: Right, right. And, and in your research, though, you've um, gray divorce doesn't mean all this generation getting divorced and um, getting divorced at increasing rates. It doesn't mean that they don't believe in marriage, though.
2: No. So, you know, that's one of the, the real interesting findings of not only my research, but also of other social scientists. Uh, people are not getting rid of this ideal of marriage. They're not just saying, okay, we're going to live together or we're going to um, just, uh, you know, be partners without getting married. Um, marriage is still upheld as the really important symbol of of commitment in the United States. And, you know, even talking to the people um, in my study, um, 40 men and 40 women who had experienced a great divorce, many of them were optimistic about pairing up going forward.
1: Right. So, but maybe, did you, did you find that maybe the expectations of marriage has changed, that people don't expect it to be, they, they still want to make that um, serious commitment, but they don't necessarily expect it to be a lifelong commitment. They didn't really talk about
2: it in that way. Um, You know, getting a gray divorce for the majority of people I spoke with was a really serious and heart-wrenching decision. And, you know, most of my interviews had to do with it, about exactly that process of of splitting up um, rather than their ideas of, about repartnering, although I did ask them about, you know, whether or not they would remarry, and they had answers about that. But, um, you know, it was an extremely difficult decision, and many of the couples that in my study had been married 20, 30, or 40 years So this was not something that they took lightly. They took their their marital vows very, very strongly and seriously. And only after a severe relationship stressor or a period of stress did they decide to divorce.
1: Right, right. Um, Through your work, you've identified that men and women experience gray divorce very differently. Can we we talk about how, first of all, let's just talk about how men experience it. What's the most common... Um, consequences that you found.
2: Yeah, so I mean, the first thing is I did find some gender differences based on the causes of why they of why they got a degree divorce. Um, you know, there there were some commonalities, but men tended to get or you know become disillusioned with the marriage due to the way things with that were being run in the marriage. So they didn't like the way money was managed, or you know, they they had these grave reservations about the way their children were ultimately disciplined and they held on to those things over time. Women were much more likely to talk about their husband's addictions as causing their great divorce, um, but and also um, their husband's verbal and emotional abuse that they ultimately decided that they didn't want to put up with. But in terms of getting to the consequences, absolutely. Um, there are very different consequences for, for men and for women. Um, for women, there are serious economic consequences and for men there are serious social consequences
1: so let's let's talk a little bit more about um, men and Mm -hmm. when you talk about social consequences one of them in your book you talk about um, their poor relationships with their their children even if the children are adult children
2: Yes, yes. So what I say, argue in the book, is that men pay this social gray divorce penalty that throughout their lives, um, you know, they've relied on their wives to do the majority of the childcare work, as well as maintain relationships with other couples, with other family members. And so when they get through a great divorce suddenly they wake up and they no longer have their wives making these social connections so a lot of these adult figures um, side with the woman in the divorce Um, and exactly the the point that you made a lot of the adult children tend to side with the um, mother as well and, um, this was quite heartbreaking for, uh, a lot of the men. Um, you know, regardless of the cause of the divorce, they t- tended to move in that direction to side with the mother. Now, over time, some of the men t- told me that over time that they did build a stronger relationship, uh, with, with their children. Um, but it took time. It took time to rebuild that. And, and that was very, very difficult for these fathers.
1: So, um, and and I know that you are a professor of public policy. So maybe you you've talked about the like, what does society need to do to help men in this situation?
2: Yeah. So, you know, for the social grade divorce penalty, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to address with public policy than let's say, economics um, for women in the sense that a lot of what um, contributes to the problem has to do with socialization, right? What, you know, And also uh, socialization as to who um, should be responsible for organizing get-togethers and social outings and also who should be responsible for the majority of caregiving of children. So those kinds of things are very, very difficult to, to undo and reverse. But what I do say is that I do recommend that fathers um, go out and, and seek um, mental health services or psychological services to help them get through a gray divorce. You know, in many cases, talking to me in, for the book was the first time that they had ever talked about this you know, devastation in their lives. And so getting that kind of support is really important. And I also talk about the importance of support groups for men going through a divorce. There are divorce groups in the in the United States that that help, um, but rarely do they focus solely on men, and then even more rarely do they focus on men over the age of fifty. So, I talk about that being an important resource for men going through this process.
1: Right, and I can speak to that just um, by experience here. Sure, I do get asked um, by men about for okay. support groups and. There aren't anywhere in the area that I am that I can refer them to. Especially, you know, sometimes I've found that the um, churches often have support groups, but yes. for people who aren't members of that faith group or who who aren't members of a church, um, there really is, it's it, it's a void
2: absolutely absolutely and they have they have literally no one to talk to um also i would say that in the united states to the extent that we fund programs at the federal level to assist men in having good relationships with their children In the divorce context, most of those programs are directed towards low-income men um, with minor children, so giving them resources to have good relationships with those children. We don't have really resources dedicated towards men over 50 who are going through a serious crisis and one that involves the critical relationship that they have with their children, so I think that that's something that needs to be looked at in terms of public policy as well.
1: So, and I'm thinking that maybe it it could be a generational thing because I think that the generations below the baby boomers, the, the parenting model is very different now. I see a lot more fathers who are way more engaged in parenting their children so that they have more of an ongoing relationship with their children so that if and when divorce does happen, they they don't have the work to do from scratch that many of the baby boomer parents are having to do.
2: Well, you know, I think that that's true to a certain extent, but there has been um, a lot of data collected on how much time uh, men and women spend in working, um, paid work, um, doing housework and doing childcare. Uh, people researchers collect these data through uh, time diaries where people account for all of the time that they're spending in these three activities. And what we found is that, yes, it's true over the past couple of decades, men have increased the amount of time that they devote to housework and to childcare, but that really significantly women still do the majority of both of those tasks um, within the context of marriage. So there, you know, we have seen some progress and perhaps that will help their relationships for, you know, in the case if they get a divorce, but still women are doing the majority of caregiving and, um, you know, men haven't haven't reached parity yet with women on that. Right. front.
1: Right. Wow. Um, uh, we're going to come back to uh, one more question about the men's experience with gay divorce in a moment. But first, we're going to take a break, Jocelyn.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Listeners, I'm Mandy Walker. This is Conversations About Divorce. And today we're talking about the increase in midlife divorce and what it means for you and for our society. My guest today is Jocelyn Elise Crowley. Jocelyn is Professor of Public Policy at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. Jocelyn's research focuses on American families and public policy, and her latest book is Grey Divorce, What We Lose and Gain from Midlife Splits, and you can get a copy of her book on Amazon. Jocelyn, would you like to share your website with our listeners? Yes, it's
2: jocelyncrowley.com, so just J O C E L Y N, C R O W L E Y dot com. my first and last name. And you can go there and read more about the book and other research that I've done.
1: Great. And some of the other research that you've done, I know um, in preparing for the show, I had read that you'd done um, some work on child support and public policy. Yes.
2: yes. Yeah, so my first book actually looked at the history of child support policy in the United States, you know, from, um, you know, the 19th century to the present and how it's changed over time and, and really um, the support system has been strengthened. So, yeah, that was my, that was my first book.
1: Great. So let's, let's jump back and we were talking about the impact of midlife splits on men. And I wanted to go back to one of your comments, the, the social isolation they felt because oftentimes in marriages, um, there's always that division of labor, but yeah. very traditionally, the woman has often taken on all of the social role of like organizing social events and managing their friendships and where they go out and who they meet with and all of that. So that when the split happens, men find themselves without those social connections.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very, very, a difficult circumstance, and they lose those social connections. Um, one of the people I spoke with, I remember vividly, he told me that he had been going to a church for 30 years with his wife and uh, his. After the divorce, his his wife's father died, so he went to the same church for the services, and he said that none of the people in the church would, even came up to him. They didn't speak to him. They didn't offer any type of support, and that was devastating to him. Um, we also talked a little bit about lo- the loss of adult children and relationships that way, and another man that I spoke with, you know, he admitted that he had multiple affairs in his marriage and of course this was devastating to his wife but once his adult children found out they didn't want anything to do with him and that was for a long period of time yeah. and he said only after you know years and years did they finally start to think about having a relationship with me.
1: Wow um, so th- those are kind of cautionary tales too for people who are still married that maybe that um, social isolation isn't necessarily something that the um, society can help with, but it is a a warning to everybody that they, don't you think, that they need to play an active role in um, that part of their their life? They can't delegate that to their spouse? Yes.
2: Yes, absolutely. And when I talk about sort of the implications and what we can do about these social consequences for men, what I really say is, number one, that men really need to become more involved in caregiving, right, so that they can achieve, that they do participate equally with their wives in raising children, but that they also need to be responsible for getting families together, getting friends together, and so forth, and that that shouldn't be solely the woman's responsibility. And if they have those kinds of relationships with other um, adults and as well as their children if, God forbid, one day that they do get a gray divorce or they go through some type of divorce process, that they're not left completely alone, that they have resources and they have friends on which to rely in order to recover from this transition.
1: Right, right. Um, So, Justin, anything else to add for the men or should, should we move on to talking about the impact on women?
2: definitely move on to to the impact um, uh, on women. And in the book, I talk a lot about, you know, while men experience this social-grade divorce penalty, women experience what I call an economic-grade divorce penalty. And what I mean by that is that simply women... when they have children, um, take time out of the labor force. If they've been working for a period of time, they often take time out of the uh, out of the workforce to to raise their children. Maybe it's a short amount of time, maybe it's a longer amount of time. But you know, when they do ultimately go back to work, they find themselves behind the men who had stayed steadily employed. Right. Um, so. You know, while they were out of the workforce, they weren't necessarily contributing to savings or retirement savings or to the social security system. And then when they return, they're making a lot less money for a variety of reasons. They've, you know, they've haven't kept up um, in terms of skill level. There's still wage discrimination in the United States. Um, they tend to be um, uh, um, in jobs that are occupationally segregated into lower, lower wage um, jobs for women. And as a result of all of these factors, once they go through a gray divorce, they find themselves, you know, in in an economically precarious situation. They don't have the savings that they need. They don't perhaps have the work history that they need. Um, And they definitely have, you know, a lot less in in retirement and Social Security contributions that, you know, is really, really scary for these women.
1: So the legal Um, system can help with some of those things. They... In terms of dividing the retirement accounts and um, dividing savings, um, but it's never going to help with the fact that the the loss of income. If they if they have been a stay at home parent, their salary is probably unlikely to ever get to the level where it would have been if they'd stayed in the workforce.
2: Absolutely, you know they're going to be. Further behind uh, their their male counterparts and their and you know ultimately, you know each divorce is its own unique experience, and sometimes judges do divide things up so that the woman is compensated for the time that she took out of the paid workforce to raise children, but sometimes she's not. And the other factor that can't be overcome um, is that in the United States, um, in terms of social security benefits, the average woman woman takes home about $14,000 a year in benefits, whereas men take home $18,000 a year in benefits. And that's primarily due to child care responsibilities and caregiving responsibilities that are placed upon women. So, you know, what I really talk about in the book is the need for us to, you know, pursue economic equality for women on a whole range of levels um, in order to really soften this economic blow that women experience after a great divorce.
1: But are you advocating that women shouldn't, that people shouldn't, uh, well, I was, I'm going to say people rather than women. I know historically it should been women that have been the stay-at-home parent, but I see more men doing that, but are you perhaps advocating that um, people shouldn't stay at home for their children no, because of this no, economic not... a, a deficit that it creates?
2: No, no. Um, what I would say is that, you know, to the extent that people have the resources to stay at home, and that is is, is a as a choice that they're lucky enough to have the opportunity to make, Um, You know, I would like to see that ultimately be kind of gender neutral, you know, whether that, whether a woman stays home for a period of time or whether a man stays home, you know, the, the. Most common occurrence is that a woman stays home. You know, if she's breastfeeding, that might be a little bit more um, essential um, that she stays at home. But, you know, in the United States, it's just the the men take very, very little time off when a child is born. So I would like to see more equality in terms of child care in the first couple of years of that child's life so that women don't necessarily fall as far behind men. Um, when it comes to earning money and then ultimately saving money for their older years.
1: Okay. And do you still see, um, in terms of the financial impacts, again, in most marriages, there's a division of labor, and there's oftentimes one person who manages the household finances. Um, And I've often seen that while the woman may be paying the bills, she doesn't understand the full picture of the the finances. And that, yeah. I think, is a disadvantage when you do end the marriage. That's a huge learning curve that you have to um, get up to speed on pretty quickly. You can't just be writing bills, if, um, writing checks, if you don't know what the big picture is.
2: Absolutely. You know, when I, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that women, you know, we do a really poor job in public schools today in terms of encouraging financial literacy. You know, very few students get exposed to how to manage money, how to pay, um, you know, how to pay bills, how to think about retirement. We just don't get that exposure exposure either at the high school level, the public education level, um, and or the college level. So I think that that Education is fundamental for people to know what is going on so that ultimately if they do decide to break up, you know, with their spouses, they know, they have the fundamentals of, of, of knowledge regarding financial planning so they don't find themselves so far behind and they have the resources to get back on their feet.
1: Right. I mean, you also mentioned, and I'm going to jump here, and we're kind of running out of time, so I just want to do this really kind of quickly if we can, is um, you mentioned that the Affordable Care Act was a boost for people getting divorced because it does it does make it much easier for an individual person who is not employed to get their own health coverage.
2: Yes, it did help a lot of people purchase their own insurance policies from um, that the markets that were created as a result of the Affordable Care Act interestingly you know a lot of research has shown that women stay in bad marriages due to their health and due to their husband's health care insurance <laughs> so you know we had their dependents on their husband's policies yes. um their husbands are employed they they are dependent on the husband's policies so they they actually are less likely to get a divorce even in if they're in a bad marriage because of their desire to remain on their husband's policy. So, you know, with the passage of the Affordable Care Act, some of that pressure, I think, has been relieved, and I think that's a definite, uh, definitely a positive sign for women going forward, that they have more options and that they don't feel necessarily mm. tied to a bad marriage because of a uh, health insurance policy.
1: Wow. Interesting. Um, One more question for you, Jocelyn. Yeah. From all the people that you interviewed, I'm curious, did any of them express remorse for getting divorced? Did any of them say that if they'd known that it was going to be that hard that they would not have gotten divorced or they would have prepared differently?
2: I think that there were a handful of people who said that they didn't, understand the loneliness of what was uh, the, the feeling of loneliness that they would experience after their divorce and that if they had known maybe they would have fought a little bit harder for their marriage but I would say the overwhelming majority of cases both men and women talked about the positive and the upside of a gray divorce and by that they were talking a lot about Financial freedom—you know, no longer have to, having to look at the other person and deciding how to spend money. Um, but also just independence in their lives, not being tied to a person who was not necessarily good for them. And so I would say that they had a positive outlook going forward, and that was the most, um, I think, important finding of the book, that they weren't necessarily going to be devastated for the rest of their lives. They saw themselves moving forward, and they were looking forward to, uh, to new opportunities and um, new paths on which to go um, going forward after the age of fifty.
1: So, so yes, absolutely, and that's that's why I don't like that term gray divorce because it just yes. it, to me emotionally or psychologically kind of reminds me like my grandparents were gray and and i don't don't feel that old you know and i still have a lot of life to live so that's right
2: that's right everybody you know once you hit 50 you still have a lot of life a lot of life ahead of you and and they were optimistic the majority of them were optimistic about their futures going forward
1: great well Thank you so much for your time today, Jocelyn. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I appreciate the work that you do because the Census Census Bureau tells us about divorce numbers and trends in marriage, but those numbers don't give us the stories. They don't don't tell us the why or the impact. And that's what you've been doing. Listeners, we've been talking about the increase in grey divorce and what it means for society and for you. My guest today is Jocelyn Elise Crowley. Jocelyn is Professor of Public Policy at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. Jocelyn's research focuses on American families and public policy, and her latest book is Gray Divorce, What We Lose and Gain from Midlife Splits, and you can get a copy of that book on Amazon. And Jocelyn, can you share with our readers your website one more time?
2: Yes, it's jocelyncrowley.com, so that's J O C E L Y N C R O W L E Y, my first and last name.com. And you can go on the website and learn more about the book as well as see opportunities to purchase the book and look at some of my other research.
1: Thank you. And, Thank you. And listen, if, if you are in midlife and you're thinking about divorce I would tell you don't wait for a change in public policy to help you there don't wait for and don't wait for your divorce to be final or even for the end of your marriage to be a certainty before you start taking action Um, I listened to to what Jocelyn has talked about and I think for women the dangers in midlife splits points to being accountable for your financial well-being and that means understanding your finances learning how to manage them Both the budgeting side and the investing side and it means creating a long-term plan for your future if you're still married and if it's your spouse who's been handling all of this ask them to start including you get getting more involved now may help you and your spouse to be on the same page and who knows it might help save your marriage too for men you've got to start working on your social skills and the nature of your relationships with your children Take stock of your social life now. Whose friends do you see? Who makes the arrangements with the children? Who makes the arrangements with your family? Um, And who coordinates all the schedules? What can you do now to start learning these skills? Are there people you could reach out to now to create new friendships? Again, if you're still married, talk to your spouse about wanting to take more of this on. And again, it might make a difference to your current relationship. If it doesn't, then you'll be building the foundation for your next phase, and it could make your transition easier. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can get a synopsis of the show at my blog since my divorce. I'm Mandy Walker, and I hope you'll join us again next time for more conversations about divorce.